0: Welcome to the Eight Woman Podcast. Our aim is to bring you inspiring stories from women of the diaspora. Women who have embraced their identities and forged successful careers. A few years ago, the marketplace across my building played host to an unusual ice cream pop-up, Malai. As a Desi, the name intrigued me, so I strolled across Imagine my surprise when a beaming brown face greeted me. One glance at the board and I was hooked. Not only could I indulge my passion for ice cream, but I could combine it with a great cup of masala chai and hold on, a turmeric flavored ice cream too? How healthy. Of course, I discovered a host of other flavors. Today, we're chatting with Pooja Bhavishi, founder and CEO, of this unusual artisanal ice cream brand. She's a 2018 Tory Burch Foundation Fellow and was named one of Inc. Magazine's 100 Female Founders in October of 2020. Let's find out how Pooja's long whiffs of her parents' morning kappa began her lifelong passion for blending cream and culture. Hi, Pooja, and welcome to our podcast. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I've been to Malai's flagship store on Smith Street in Brooklyn, and at any given time, it's teeming with mainly non-desi customers. While people have favorites like Haganda's, Ben & Jerry's, etc., Malai has made Nani's homemade desi flavors a commercial success. (laughs) You've obviously hit a sweet spot. How did this journey begin?
1: I think it's interesting that you said that it's filled with non basy people because the whole point of starting this was to create new flavor profiles in ice cream and to change the mainstream way of thinking about what ice cream is. But I started really with this dual passion of making desserts. I love the challenge of making desserts and the joy it brings people when you make it for them. I started that at a very young age. But as you mentioned, I also had this really deep curiosity about my culture. I'm first-generation Indian American. I grew up in North Carolina. I thought our culture was so beautiful and loved our culture. One of the main ways it manifested itself in my daily life was that morning cup of Jai that my parents would have. And I would always ask to smell it. That was like the number one thing at breakfast. I would put my nose in their cup of Jai and it was a sweet, intoxicating smell of spices and milkiness and those tannic bitter notes of tea. It was just so fascinating to me of how these flavors fit together and how it brought me so much comfort. It smelled like home to me. But I pursued another career. and knew that eventually I wanted to start a dessert business, which showed itself in fall of 2014. I was in my second to last semester in business school, and I was holding a dinner party where I made the desserts, but for the very first time, I was making ice cream to go along with it. I pulled these two spices from what me and my sister have always called the Indian side of the kitchen. My mom always stocked for us with our most comforting spices and foods i made two ice creams. My friends said that they've never had before.
0: Which spices were these?
1: It was just ginger and star anise. Two very simple flavors. They actually are still on the menu today. They still have this very loyal following. I flavor them the way I was taught to flavor any savory Indian dish. Not timid about it, really make it spice forward, really show up as robustly and potently as possible
0: why ice cream and not desserts?
1: Actually, as we grow and evolve, we're thinking about malaya as more of a flavor profile rather than just ice cream. But it started as just ice cream for a couple of reasons. One, dairy really carries spice super beautifully. It can really infuse that spice directly into the body of what you're eating. It's not masked by anything else. The name of the flavors is exactly what you're getting. Rose with cinnamon, roasted almonds. You're getting rose, you're getting cinnamon, you're getting almonds. Also, I really thought about ice cream in a way of these spices were really beautiful. These flavor profiles aren't really present anywhere. We're not trying to recreate any ice cream that you find in India or anything like that. We're trying to tell stories through flavors. I really wanted to rethink what ice cream meant. There's very limited shelf space in grocery stores and you kind of see the same flavors everywhere. Chocolate and vanilla and cookies and cream is kind of what you see. I hope that Malai's lasting legacy is that it becomes really mainstream to go to the grocery store and pick up a pint of masala chai ice cream. And you can do that as easily as picking up a pint of strawberry ice cream. And then lastly, I think that in the past 10 to 15 years, ice cream makers started using more artisanal ingredients, better quality dairy, more whole ingredients. I wanted it to be in more of a luxury space than it had been in the past. Those were the reasons why I started with ice cream and then Malai was the perfect name for it. (laughs) Why was Malai the perfect name? Everyone asks about that name origin story. I don't remember a time when I didn't call it Malai. I really wanted it to be a name that people could pronounce and that it sounded like there was this lush quality to it to make it more luxurious, but really had meaning behind it as well. Malai means cream of the crop in North Indian languages in Hindi and Gujarati where my family is from. And so it was a very fitting name for my ice cream company.
0: I understand the masala chai story. Pick up one of your flavors and tell me what story you
1: wanted to tell. The Diwali flavors really stand up in my mind. We have three pints of ice cream that all just have so much meaning behind them. One is our gugra flavor. It's basically a pastry that is filled with nuts and cardamom and milk powder and ghee and sugar. And you fry it. We take that filling of cougar and we layer it in cardamom ice cream. We only make it at the valley time. We don't make it at any other time of year. It tastes like the holiday festive time for me. It also just like reminds me of my grandmother. She was the best person to make it. Even when she stopped making it, she would always want to sit at the table and instruct us when we were making it and tell us that it needed improvement. <laughs> Those are the memories that I love about the valley. Just like everyone pulling each other's legs, sitting around the table, reliving our traditions and creating more memories. And my sister gave me the best compliment. This tastes like bah. It tastes like our grandmother I made it. That is what I wanted that flavor to represent. So I'm really proud of that one. What a delightful story. You should
0: write these stories on all of your little boxes. We do. You were born and raised in North Carolina? Born and raised in the U.S., mostly grown up in North Carolina. What was it like growing up in North Carolina? We hear stories of South Asians battling prejudice. Did you face any and did you have any coping mechanism? I grew
1: up in Charlotte and went to a private school. And certainly I was one of a handful of people of color. I credit my parents a lot who really just gave us this mindset of you do you, you forge ahead, you have your personality, you have your strength, you need to get your education to succeed in what you're doing. And I always had that mindset. I also had a really great group of friends to keep me really grounded and focused. But certainly I definitely was othered a lot, whether it was people who ran against me in student council or people who didn't think I should get the highest grade and things like that. I think that there was a little bit of racial undertones within that. The school has done quite a lot to make sure that there is that learning and awareness and open-mindedness, but I didn't really think about it as holding me back. I didn't feel it on my daily basis. It's really interesting looking back on those things and being in a space where I'm celebrating my culture so openly and so freely that if I'm giving myself the therapy here, I think it actually was in direct response that I was craving that so much. This is what I chose for my career. Do you think it made a difference that you're in New York as opposed to being in Charlotte? Yeah, well, I think that a lot of it's circumstance, just like so much in life. And I haven't lived in Charlotte since I was 18. I moved around a lot. I went to college. I went to grad school in London. I lived in DC for many years and happened to go to business school in New York, which is where I started my ice cream business. If life had led me somewhere else, first of all, I don't know if I would have founded Malai. But second of all, I think there are pros and cons to being in New York, right? There is no greater place to start a food business and no harder place to start a food business. All of the resources that are available and also the sheer number of small business owners that become a part of your support network and help you along your way and become a part of your trajectory is incredible. I don't think I would find that anywhere else. That said, it is so expensive here. Everything is a little bit harder. um, And so there is that aspect as well. Am I... So great. all to have started in New York and have that open-minded customer base that isn't a part of the diaspora and just wants a really good high-quality product. Yes, absolutely. I really think that's part of Malai's story and Malai's success. How easily did your parents
0: accept the fact that you want to make ice cream considering the typical they see a desire that their children become doctors or lawyers. And you were at LSE and you were at business school in New York and you were all set to become an investment banker.
1: <laughs> I think anyone would tell you that I was never set to be an investment banker. I, I go back to that whole high school thing as well. My parents really hammered into us that choose whatever career you want, but, but put your all into it. Do not do it even 99%, do it 100% and and become the best you could possibly be in that. That was always part of our mindset, mine and my sisters. Growing up, we both chose pretty alternative careers. My parents did nothing but encourage us to excel in those careers. What's funny is that I started Malign in 2014. But a couple of years before that, I was at a crossroads in my career. But I ended up going to business school. My parents were like, Buja, you've been talking about this dessert business for so long. How about you start that now? So they were on board long before I started Malai. They are entrepreneurs themselves. They understand the ups and downs of business, but they also understand the rewards, both tangible and intangible. And they encourage me to experience all of that. Hats off, more Desis need parents like that. (laughs) (laughs) What kind of entrepreneurs are they? My dad has been in the textile business since the early 80s.
0: How did you know that you were ready to launch Malai? And how difficult was it to launch a business as a South Asian woman in a field saturated with ice creams and desserts?
1: I'll answer the second part of that question first. I don't think that being a South Asian woman or being a woman or anything was actually the point at the very beginning. I think the point was that it was an extremely saturated market. How to differentiate yourself in that market. So I actually think that those were assets. Being a woman, being a woman of color, being a woman of color focused on my culture and heritage as the product. Those were differentiators. It helped me at the beginning and I think continues to because I don't think that there's a lot of that still out there. It's coming up more and more. It was something new when I first started. I don't think you're ever actually ready to launch. You just take the leap. I was in my last semester of business school and I really used those networks as a way to test a lot of things. I didn't have actually a culinary background. So I looked up a lot of commercial ice cream making courses and there's this famed one where like Ben & Jerry's and Haagen-Dazs and Breyers and also small artisanal brands go to at Penn State that happens in January. Right after November, when I had that dinner party, I attended that course in January and then took the rest of that semester to give samples out of the ice cream at any club, fair or conference. And I would have piles of surveys there. I would ask about anything and everything, just gathering data, gathering data. I would hold focus groups of like, this is the rose with vanilla, rose with cinnamon, rose with X, right? I just needed to know that there was a market out there. Would people actually buy this product that I was making? As soon as the ball starts rolling, you can't really stop it. So then established the LLC, invested in some branding. And then finally, I sold my first scoop two weeks after graduation at a food fair. That's it. We were up and running. So selling your first scoop was like, okay, I can sell. For sure. Yeah. And that high actually never goes away. That pop-up that you mentioned in Fort Green, that was our first established location. We weren't at a fair market. We weren't in a temporary setup. We opened and within the first 10 minutes, someone walked up to buy that scoop. At that point, I had been selling for two years, but it was in very temporary setups. And to have someone Wanting to have our ice cream, I'll never forget that. Even today, interaction with my customers is my most favorite part of the job. Just seeing that we still continue to bring joy to people. That's why
0: there's never been a faster
1: or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care.
0: And we're in this. Is there any favorite compliment that
1: still resonates with you? A hundred percent. This was in May of 2015. Literally, it had been, I don't know, two three weeks since I first officially started selling. It was the first week we did orange fennel, which is still on our menu today. I love fennel seeds, such a ubiquitous part of South Asian cuisine. They're a palate cleanser and they are a digestive aid. And I wanted to make a fennel based ice cream, but just wanted to brighten it up with a little bit of orange. This woman bought a cup of the orange fennel and she walked away. Again, temporary setup, we were at a food market. I saw her do like a complete about face and start walking back towards me. And I pulled the cash out of the cash box. Like I was ready to refund her. I was like, oh man, she hated it. New York is not ready for feta ice cream. She said to me, I have an Italian grandmother who made orange and anise cookies. And I haven't had this flavor since she's passed. So I just wanted to thank you. Food is like really the only thing that can cross cultural boundaries and cross traditions. And it's so social and it's so meaningful and you don't need a language for it. It just reinforced all of these ideas that I had about food. Someone who grew up in a completely different way from me, it sparked a memory and nostalgia for her. And I just think that that's so cool. I will never forget that. I completely get
0: where she's coming from because Pooja, I walked up to that Malai pop-up in Fort Green, and I was transported back home with this masala chai flavor and all that. I visited Smith Street. I bought spicy cumin. Now, that is not a flavor that you would even consider is an ice cream flavor. Did you enjoy it? (laughs) I loved it. It was like chash. I was drooling. It reminded me of lunches around the dinner table with my family. And at the end of the meal, we all have chash. Yay, I
1: love that. I love that that was a memory that that sparked. That's the thing, right? It can spark any memory. One of the best compliments that I get for the rose, which is something that we get over and over again, from people that are not part of the diaspora. It's our number one skew, it's our most popular flavor. And they say, oh, it tastes familiar. It's such a Middle Eastern, South Asian dessert flavor, right? It's probably not something in their flavor bank memory of this is a dessert that I've had, but there is something that's pulling them in. And I love that. I love that there is that connection that you can make through food. I
0: love hearing this passion in your voice as you're talking about your ice cream. ever been
1: disheartened? What gives you that impetus to keep going? In general, business by nature has its ups and downs. There's not just constant highs, but there's not constant lows either. Nothing is forever. I think that the hardest part that we've been through in our business with the pandemic, when we did have to close, there was so much uncertainty. I had to lay off my entire team. It was a really, really painful time for the business. There were these questions of, Were we going to survive? My thought about survival and doing well and succeeding, those questions came up quite a bit at the beginning, at those very early stages. As we grew, it became less and less of a question, not because we were doing so extraordinarily well or anything like that. It was more like, I can't fail because now I have employees, now I have a team, now people know about us, now we are part of people's daily existence, and I can't fail. Those feelings went away, and suddenly they rushed back in March of 2020. But we... Like a lot of business owners showed such resilience. That word pivot was used over and over again. The analogy that I like to use, is: it's not necessarily that I was pivoting, but at that moment, I was just following the light. If I saw opportunity and I saw that light, I followed it. I was like looking for these flashlights everywhere. What kind of lights did you see? E-commerce rose by 1,200% in 2020. People were home. People needed comfort. They needed those moments of joy. Even though at that point, I was my only employee. I produced and I packed up those shipments and I taped all those boxes up. I was wiping everything down with Lysol. And as soon as I came back home, I hopped right into the shower. No one knew what this was. It felt like I was doing something for the people who did something for me. They gave me this opportunity to share these flavors with them and share these stories with them, and I was able to be there for them. Did being in business school help with the running of Malai? The short answer is yes. I absolutely think it did. I had intention of starting a dessert business. What business school gave me is this language and vocabulary to be a part of all conversations. I have knowledge of accounting, I have knowledge of finance, I have knowledge of marketing, strategy, all of these different subjects, I can hold a conversation with the experts in those fields. That also gives me a better lens on how to understand my business as a whole. For that reason, I am very grateful to business school. I know that there's a constant debate of whether or not business school is necessary for entrepreneurs, but it really did help me. What do you think is the secret of Malai's success? I think the secret to Malai's success is the fact that it's a personal brand, that there is a person behind it, there are stories behind it, and people can relate to each and every one of these flavors. Whether you relate to all of them or not, that's not actually the point. The point is that you have connection to what is being made, and for that reason, it just tastes a little sweeter, I think. How do you decide
0: what flavors you're going to experiment with. Is it something that you decide on your own? Do you have a board of advisors? Do customers come up to you and say, can you make this flavor? Have there been any flavors that you've rejected or some flavors that you've tried
1: that nobody liked and you've removed from your board? Every single one of my flavors, it's something that I've thought of. I certainly welcome all suggestions, but having a memory attached to it, having a flavor story is really important. It does translate better as a food product. Usually it's something as simple as, (laughs) I love cure. How can we make this into ice cream? Would we do it this way or this way? Let's try both ways and see. It's usually something very simple like that. Like the Gugra, for example. When I think of Diwali, one of the first things I think of is Gugra. Okay, how can we turn that into an ice cream where people can also just tell that it is Gugra? There's no question about it. It really just comes from those kind of things. As we grow, more and more people are giving us suggestions and I think that that's great. Have you tried any other Indian desserts like say rasmalai or magas or something like that? Rasmalai is one of my favorite Indian sweets. I have been working on a version for years now of how to make that into an ice cream. I'm also a perfectionist and so it's just not where I want it to be. Hopefully, in the near future, there will be a rasmalai ice cream. Are you going to stick to
0: Indian flavors only or do you plan to expand to say like baklava
1: or something Sri Lankan? Yeah, for sure. So we already have a baklava flavor, mostly because I used to think that was an Indian sweet growing up. (laughs) It was something that was readily available at our house. That's what I write on the pipe. Again, if it has meaning behind it, I'm certainly open to it. We were fortunate enough to do amazing collaborations that I want to continue as well. The point behind this brand is really just to make these connections with people. Do you favor taste over authenticity? Authenticity, I think, is a very loaded word. And I'm not trying to be authentic to anyone but myself. I'm not representing Indians. I'm not representing the diaspora. I'm not even representing Indian Americans. I'm actually recognizing the fact that you and I are... You and I or you and I have grown up very differently from each other, but you will find a connection to the product that I'm making, even though I'm pulling from the way I grew up in my daily life and my daily culture. Heritage is free flowing. Traditions are free flowing. Culture is free flowing. I'm not trying to box anyone into anything, but this is my perspective on this. And so this is my perspective on Gugra. This is my perspective on Jalebi and Rebri, but it will spark a memory for you. And that's all I'm looking for. Do you try and celebrate every Indian event? No, I'm not trying to celebrate every Indian event either. I'm I'm more celebrating what I celebrated. <laughs> Thanksgiving is is so part of the founding story. That dinner party that I had in 2014 was actually a Friendsgiving that I was holding. So Thanksgiving is such a big part of the brand story for Malay. So we do something special for that. But yeah, these Indian holidays, like if I have a connection to it, absolutely. We want to celebrate them because we're also recognizing that other people are celebrating them as well. And people who are not celebrating them are waiting for these flavors to come out. There's that part of it as well. We like to celebrate with a couple of different flavors that are only available at that time. We like to make sure that everything is shipped nationwide as well as find in store and we usually do some kind of special in-store event as well.
0: In March 2020 you won a battle on Food Network's Chopped Sweets.
1: Were you nervous and how did you craft that victory? (laughs) I was of course nervous. I felt like an imposter, honestly, when they reached out. And when I went through the audition process at every step, I say to them, you know, I'm not a chef, right? I don't know if I'm qualified to do this. It was validating for me. It was a good experience for me. I am creating new flavors and I'm bringing a new perspective in the culinary world. And that was very cool for me. I honestly just stayed true to myself throughout that entire competition. Like, I think that this needs a little bit of saffron. Why don't we put a little rose water in here and things like that? There was some pretty steep competition. Who were you competing against? Pastry professionals from around the country, people who really know their craft and who I'm very big fans of today too. Do you still feel you're an imposter or have you gotten over that? I don't think you actually fully get over it. It's just about learning to manage with it. I don't think it's necessarily just in Entrepreneurship, I don't think is necessarily just in the world of culinary arts. I think it can creep up in a lot of different ways. I read this article that really stuck with me. It said, basically, for the entrepreneur's perspective, it feels like you're on a lion. And everyone around you on the ground is saying, Oh my God, that's so cool. How did she get on that lion? And you're on this lion thinking, How did I get on this lion? And how do I get off? Like, I have no way off. I certainly felt that way early on. There's a sexiness that comes with entrepreneurship, especially in something really aspirational like ice cream or food or desserts. You get press and you are making beautiful ice creams and you are doing cool things and people from the outside in are noting that and they're romanticizing that. When you're going through it, it's really just about how do I survive day to day? Because that freezer broke overnight and that delivery of sugar didn't come. And I have to, by my own vehicle or my own feet, have to make these deliveries myself. Especially at the beginning, only you know that and only you understand the work and only you understand the loneliness. As you grow, you do develop a team around you. To young entrepreneurs, I always say that if I knew one thing from before, it would really always be, make sure you have a really incredible support system around you at the beginning and tap into it whenever you can, whenever you need to, because it can get really hard, really fast.
0: That's such great advice. I just wanted to make one point when you talk about being on a lion and with your Indian heritage, the people who are depicted as being on lions are these goddesses. They were feisty women who fought for themselves and never
1: needed to get off that lion. I love that imagery. Thank you.
0: (laughs) You have some collaborations with two of our previous interviewees, Mani Chauhan and Kanchan Koya, all three of you are playing a role in making Indian tastes
1: mainstream. Talk to us about it. Yeah, for sure. The frozen yogurt that you're talking about was a collaboration with Manith, Kanchin and Manit are both just incredible women and incredible entrepreneurs. They're crafters in their field and certainly opened a lot of doors for us following them. They are doing everything they can to make sure that not only does this Indian and South Asian cuisine become more mainstream, but also recognizing the diversity within there. We collaborated with Manith, who is just an incredible, incredible person. I basically wanted to create frozen treats out of my mom's chutneys. She has a green chutney that we made into a cilantro mint sorbet. She makes a date chutney that we made into a date tamarind ice cream. And then she makes this roasted cumin yogurt that we made into the roasted cumin frozen yogurt. Manit has this incredible cookbook called Chat. So we created a chat box out of it. It was one of the coolest launches we've ever done. We do one-off things. To do chat in dessert form. That was like a completely new take for us. It was really delicious and something that I was really proud of. I was so honored to work with Manit on that. Had you ever imagined this kind of success for Malai, and where do you see it say five years from now? Any entrepreneur would tell you that they they do see that kind of success for their business. I feel very fortunate that we have this dual market product that people from all walks of life are really enjoying our product and, and they want it to make it a part of their daily rituals. I love that. That's my favorite part. I would love for Malai to become a household name, a global brand. We could do well in a lot of different markets. I would want Malai to be enjoyed by as many people as possible. That would get us closer to our goal of making these flavors as mainstream as possible. Are there people doing something like Malai in other countries? I'd like to think that we're doing something different. We focus a lot on quality. We use local dairy. We use the best possible spices. We work with spice vendors, Diaspora Co. and Burlap and Barrel and Rumi Spice. They are sourcing ethically and making sure there's no middlemen or distributors. Those kind of values are really important to us and that's become a part of our brand identity. I do think that we're pretty unique in the market. I'm going to
0: embarrass myself because I don't know how you make ice cream, but... Do you have egg in it and do you do
1: eggless flavors, vegan things? Actually, all of the products that come out of Malai, whether it's the ice cream, whether it's the cakes, cookies, toppings, everything is eggless. There are two reasons for that. One is when I was first experimenting with different ice cream bases, I was doing both egg and eggless. I really wanted the spices to shine, and egg has a flavor. So it almost felt like there was this block there that was preventing these ingredients to really show what they're made of. That's one of the reasons. The other is my family's Gujarati Jane. They're vegetarian just by culture. So many Gujaratis in general consider milk to be vegetarian, but not eggs. And I didn't want to pull from my culture and then make these products inaccessible to that population. It was really important to me that we are a completely eggless kitchen. That is something I decided very, very, very early on in 2015. And I've continued with that. On top of that, we have expanded our vegan line, so non-dairy quite a bit as well. For scooping, we always have... Flavors that are non dairy. I think we're up to seven or eight non dairy flavors as well. And what do you use for non dairy? For the sorbet, that's water based, but if it's an ice cream, we use coconut. Who do you think is your closest competitor? Well, I think everyone and no one right? Again, it's a very saturated market. We were first at fairs and markets, and then we did some CPG wholesale, and then we did events, and then we started e-commerce. And the very last piece of our puzzle was actually our brick and mortar storefront. That started in March of 2019. When I was looking for spaces, I would tell my broker, take me to where the ice cream is. Go to the neighborhood that has multiple ice cream shops, because you know that everyone's doing well there. It reinforces my constant thought that everyone will find their market. Those that like Malai may not go to this other shop, but those that go to this other shop may not come to me. And that's fine. We are all succeeding. We're all thriving. And as long as that continues, it's totally fine. I find value in those business owners and in those companies becoming a part of Malai's network rather than becoming direct competitors. Obviously, we're all ice cream and we're all fighting for the same grocery shelf space and all of that but maybe not the same grocery store. What kind of grocery stores do you find yourself in? We're mostly in the Northeast. We're also in the Chicago area. More high-end grocery stores is where we're located. We're in the Whole Foods in all of Northeast, but like the smaller specialty food markets.
0: In true Desi style, I'm going to become nosy about your personal life. Are you in a relationship? I know you have a sibling.
1: Do you have any children? I am single and I don't have children. I do have a wonderful two and a half year old niece who is the light of my life. What does Pooja do when she isn't concocting ice cream flavors? I'm like just now in the stage of my business where I can step away a little bit. And I'm rediscovering who I am. It's super interesting to me. It's something that I talk about with my friends all the time. Like, what did I like to do before Malai? I'm honestly enjoying fall weather and spending time in our parks. Rediscovering the city that I love so much when I first moved here, and that has become such an identity part for Malai. I've kind of forgotten to live in it. So I've been taking a lot of walks lately and just enjoying.
0: That's nice to hear. I have a rapid fire round for you. Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's do this. What's your favorite ice cream brand other than Malai?
1: It's Briars. Your favorite childhood memory? I can't pick one, but I would say that probably the entire family on summer nights in the backyard playing baseball or playing Frisbee. What's your favorite Malai flavor?
0: Orange fennel. What's the most popular Malai flavor? Rose with cinnamon roasted almond. Do you like Gujarati dhebras or chakris? Chakris. Navratri or Christmas? Navratri. New York City or
1: London? Oh my goodness, I live in both places. Probably New York City. What's your favorite cuisine? If I'm looking for like comfort food, it would be Gujarati. But if I'm going out, probably a Mediterranean or sushi. Gujarati, what's your favorite dish? Rotla, without question. Being off. Indian heritage to you means what? That I have this very cultured part that I love. Additional, colorful, more musical. For me, I just think of more light. I have this other lit part that I love to tap into. If not Malai, what? You know those New York memes, New York or nowhere? It's Malai or nothing. <laughs> I love that answer.
0: Pooja, I'd like to thank you so much for giving the Ake Woman podcast your time. For all our listeners, if you haven't tried Malai, find them online and treat yourself. Find our podcast through social media, Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, and Akewoman.com. Thank you so much, Pooja. Thank you. This was so fun.